Okay, beautiful people. We're going to start a new series today on vision and choosing your future. Does anybody want a different future? Yeah? Two of you, three of you, four of you. All right. So if you want what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. And uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and to give you a future. God has nothing but good thoughts for you. A lot of people have this perspective that the Lord's going to get them. Jesus is looking to judge you. Jesus is looking to just, he's like this walking around heaven with a baseball bat looking to just crack down on people. That couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus is looking to bless you. Jesus is looking to bring you into life, bring you into purpose, and take you further. You're created on purpose with a purpose. You're created by love, and you're created to be loved. That's the point. You say, well, why do bad things happen? Bad things happen because of a broken world. Bad things happen because of a fallen world. Bad things happen because of sinful people, sinful choices, and sinful systems. That's why. Jesus put it like this in John chapter 10. He says, the thief that is the devil, the fallen angel, comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life. It's a binary statement. Good God, bad devil. That's how it works, right? So God is not the author of, um, uh, of evil. It doesn't, it, he's, he's, you were created for good. Say that with me. I was created by love and for love. Say this, I was created on purpose with a purpose. God created you from his heart for a purpose. Anybody here believe you've been, you're, you're, on, you're on this earth, you're on this planet for a reason? Anybody? Yeah, you all do. And you know why? Because the Bible puts eternity and says he puts eternity in your heart. He puts, he puts the longing for something more meaningful than yourself in your heart. So what we're going to talk about in this series, we're going to talk to you about a clear vision. We'll talk to you about getting a clear vision of a future that you want to live. How about that? Huh? Can we get a clear vision of a future that we want to live? And we're going to talk about making choices, aiming making choices towards that future. So this first slide, what I wanted to show you is uh, the background of the, uh, the message is on choices and how to make choices and different choices. But the front end, what I wanted to show you is I'm kind of putting this thing together. I'm like, well, I actually got to kind of give people some idea of how to formulate a purpose and how to formulate the vision of God. So what I suggest to you, right, you have three choices. You can write these down, you can take a picture of it, or you can just wave at the slide as I change it in the future here and do nothing with it. But these are a list of questions. These are questions that have to be asked if you want, if you want a future. You have to know and you have to begin to ask very hard questions. The Bible, Jesus is all about questions. He loves questions. You are acted, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you're created to be a question. Anybody ever know that? Do you know why you ask so many questions? Because God created you as a question. The same root word in the Hebrew for the word human is the same root word for the word manna. The manna is the bread that came down from heaven. And do you know what the word manna means? It means what? That's what it means. So when God brought manna down from heaven, the people picked it up and said, what is this? What is this? They don't know what it is. And so that same root word of the word what is created into the being of mankind. You're created to be a question. Over and over again, you see in the scripture, God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Jesus encouraged questions. If you look at how Jesus worked with his disciples, he did not ask answer questions that they didn't ask. 
This is very important. Jesus only addressed the questions that they asked. That's why we have understanding into some of his teachings more clearer than we do others because somebody actually asked the question. And when they asked the question, he answered it. But he'd make a statement and he'd just wait and see if anybody's going to ask a question. If nobody asked a question, it never got answered. You're created to ask questions. In the church, in the gospel, in, in our cultural Christianity, we pretty much eliminate, we don't want any questions. Don't question anything. We want to be answer givers. Just receive the answer. Don't worry about the questions. Questions are essential. They prized it very, very much. When, when you would sit with a council, as, as you were in the Hebrew culture, if you would sit with a counselor, you'd sit at a dinner, the young was not allowed to involve themselves in the conversation. So if you had a kid, at the, com- at the youngest person in the room, they weren't allowed to talk. The only thing they were allowed to do was ask questions. They weren't permitted to give their opinion, hello. They weren't permitted to tell everybody what time it is or what they think of the world, but they were permitted to ask questions. It was the same thing when they were training priests and ministers in the Old Testament. The, the, the younger guys were not allowed to come into a council of, of senior leaders and tell anybody anything. Your job is not to come in here and tell us anything unless we ask you. Your job is to come in here and ask questions. If you want to ask questions, we'll answer the questions. So questions in the Hebrew culture were very permitted. It was very important right? And so God likes questions. The way we become and the way we change and we transform is through asking questions. So we're going to ask some questions. Listen, here's why we don't like questions. Questions make us uncomfortable because the questions that I'm about to show you that you need to ask, there is no immediate answer for that. These questions, as we go through this list, there's not an immediate answer. But these questions have to be engaged in order to formulate what God has for you, or even in order to formulate how he's created you and what your purpose is. It takes a long time. It took, it's taken me, I've been working on myself and working on vision and working on purpose. I'm not telling you this because I read it in a book, okay? I'm telling you this because I live it. I'm not telling you this because I know this might be how God works. No, I'm telling you this because this is how he works, okay? And I know it on good authority. So the, the questions that you have to ask yourself, they're going to make, you have to be okay with a question making you uncomfortable. You have to be okay with there not being an immediate answer to the question. We ask questions and there's not always an immediate answer. There will be an answer, it just isn't immediate. So for instance, here's the first question. Do you find your life meaningful, yes or no? Do you find your life meaningful, why or why not? So we're specifically targeting purpose here. What are you currently doing that you do not want to do? And a lot of people are blind to that because we're just going through the motions and just doing things. But if you actually step back and look at your life, there'd be a list of things that like, this is not what I want to do. This is a waste of my time. I get no fulfillment out of this. I get no satisfaction out of this. I don't really find any meaning or purpose or value in what I'm doing. Now, some of that stuff you have to do, okay? You have to cut the grass, all right? Or unless you're or hire a lawn guy. You know what I mean? Some of it we have to do, but there's other things that we get entangled in that are, we're, we're, we completely don't want to do. And what they become is they become time wasters and attention drains to us. Do you find your life meaningful? Yes or no? And you have to write that down and get into detail on that. You should take time and you should give yourself a block of time and you should think about these questions and even come back to them and keep writing them down. You have to, what it is, is you're mining the soul. You're mining what is in you. Most of what is in you is buried under 20 feet of crap, right? 
It's buried under so much junk that the world and the culture and the busyness of life, the cares of this world have choked the life out of it, right? And so who, what you are and the value of who you are and how God has created you is so far buried that it actually takes you time to get deep into the layers of who you are to be, actually begin to discover this stuff. It took me two years to figure, to figure out what I really wanted. You're like, dude, that's just crazy. I can't believe it took you two years. Yeah, I can define what I want with crystal clarity. Can you? Crystal clarity. Not only can I define what I want, it, it becomes the compass of my life. It becomes the decision-making principles of my life. Say, what do you want? I want significance, I want influence, and I want legacy. That's what I want. I, want, I won't, don't want to do anything that does not have a significant impact. I want to be in a position where I'm capable of influencing people in the right direction, and I want to build work, and I want to do something that goes beyond my life. You say, that's pretty simple. Yeah, cost me two years to get that simple answer. And so now anything that, then you know what, what you do is you take that and you begin to present that to the Lord. And don't just do it off the cuff. What you're going to do is you're going you're gonna to have to realize, like, like, okay, so Raul asked me if this message was going to be the same. I said, it's probably going to be entirely different. So it's about to get really different. Um, this is important. Say this with me. I will always be jealous of my ideal. Jealousy, of course, is a bad thing, but jealousy has a fruit to it if you understand how to get at it. You're jealous of someone, something, someplace for a reason. The reason that you, because you're not jealous of everything, are you? You know what I'm saying? Some of us are jealous of some things and some stuff. Then the other person's like, oh, that makes me so jealous. If we actually were honest and you're like, that doesn't bother me at all. You're jealous of your ideal. That's what you're jealous of. In that jealousy, whatever you're jealous for is something that you want. The key is to look at that and discover what is it in there that I really want. So for instance, you have a person, let's use Instagram. Can we use Instagram? Um, oh, one person said yes. Did you say yes? Oh, okay. Did you say yes? That's all I need. I only need one. All right? So we get jealous of other people's Instagram followers. We get jealous of other people. Let's just, we use business. We get jealous of other people's business that are more, you know, and you have to ask yourself, what is it that makes me so jealous of that? What am I jealous of? And you have to go, I'm jealous of their success. Okay, well, what is, what part of their success are you jealous of? Is it the financial? Is it the influential? What, what, what part of that are you jealous of? Because when you find that, you're going to realize what you really want. You're going to look at somebody. Okay, um, can I use me? I'll use me, right? I'm going, to go on, I'm, going to, I'm going to be the lamb to the slaughter this morning, and you can all act superior and pray for me. But I know, I know better. You're human just like me. I just try to deal with my junk and press into things and realize that it's going to get ugly before it gets beautiful, right? When you're, when you're transforming, it gets ugly before it gets beautiful. I used to be like, there are certain things. Okay, so how do I put this without sounding like, like so like, like immature? You know, probably because it is immature. But anyway, nonetheless, it, it happened to me more, and I think it happened to me more with ministry than it ever did with business. I never had this problem in business. You know, it's like I never had this problem. When I used to do business, I did business for a long time. I was never really jealous. I was like, I'm, I'm still always happy for other people's success. Hey, that's great. That's great. That's great. But in ministry, and the reason that I think that it was in ministry is because God was trying to mine something out of me. 
He's trying to get something out of me. And so he creates an antagonism or he allows an antagonism like a pearl, you know, pearls are created when there's an antagonist, an irritant placed inside of the clam, right? The, the, the irritant produces a pearl. And so God will allow an irritant, particularly into the area where you have a calling, because you're not jealous of everything, but there are certain things that you're jealous of. And I would be jealous of certain people and the success that they were having. And I would go, why am I jealous of this? I really don't want what they have. I really don't want that. I'm not that person. I don't, you know, I don't look like that. I don't act like that. And 75% of what they're doing, I don't want to do that anyway. But the problem was, you're, I had to keep asking myself, what is it about this that is bothering me? And what we do, I'll just get, I'm going to give you Christianity, okay? Christianity does not always manifest the reality of the kingdom. I want to be very clear with you. Jesus is not religious. He's not. Jesus is relational. He's not religious. So what he does is he develops through the process of relationship. He develops through the good, the bad, and the ugly of relationship. He's okay. He loves to show you how screwed up you are, not to point the finger at you and go, nah, 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 nah. He, point, he likes to show you how screwed up you are because he wants to partner with you to help you. That's why. So that's why he shows you. He'll reveal all the ugly in you, and you'll go, that's in, that, well, I, and then we want to go and hide. We don't, when we miss the point, God is showing you that because he wants you to look to him, partner with him, and allow him to help you transform. And so he's showing me this irritant that's inside of me, and I'm trying to figure out what the problem is. And the church will tell you, oh, you shouldn't be jealous. You need to rebuke that spirit of jealousy, how immature you are being so jealous. Jealous you are, jealous you are. And so what we do is we take those feelings and we suppress them. They don't go away, do they? Come on, can I get a witness? No, no, I know we got a pious crowd here this morning. They don't go away. I've never been jealous in 15 years, Pastor. I'm spiritual at all times. You're a liar and you need to repent. <laughs> liar. What I'm trying to teach you is the fruit of this. So you're irritated. And I would say, what am I irritated by? What is it about this that's driving me crazy? And I, began, and, and I, had to, and I go, do I want that success? I'm like, no, it's not the success. Is it like his cool hair? No, it's not the cool hair. You know, is it the smoke machines? I'm just using vain things. Is it the smoke? And I'm like, no, it's not that. I'm like, what is it that I want? And I realized I want the influence. I realized that the position that he is, the, the, the whatever it was I'm perceiving and what he has, has achieved is a weight of influence. He's able, and, I, and, and so when I would say, do I want that? No, 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 do I want that? And I'm like, yep, I want that. So then I'd circle influence. I know at the core of my being, I want influence. Put that aside. Significance. I started seeing all of that. That was another irritant to me. Like people would go, oh, you don't get involved in this, and you don't get involved in that, and you don't get involved in that. And so I started asking myself, why don't I, why don't I just do everything? What's the problem with me? So here's the deal. What I want you to understand is there's nothing wrong with you. There's something missing. Everything that was wrong with you, Jesus nailed to the cross. So there is nothing wrong with you in God's economy. The only thing that's going on here is there's something missing. Oh, so Pastor Kevin doesn't want to, put, doesn't want to do this, doesn't want to do that, and I'm very particular about the teachers that I let bring in here. Why? Because if it isn't significant, you're not coming in. If you don't match the culture and you're not going to add value and be significant to the people, I don't have time for you. 
I don't care who you know or who you are. You have to add value. And so I wouldn't commit to certain things, and I had to mine this. You understand? You have to mine yourself. It gets uncomfortable. It gets gritty. You're like, ah, ah, this is uncomfortable. Ah, what's wrong with me? Ah. And then I had to realize there's nothing wrong with you. What's missing is you don't know why you don't do that. And it's not why you won't. It's what you will. It wasn't what I wouldn't commit to. It's what I would commit to. Because I noticed that I would be eager in some areas and non-committal in another. And I'd say, what is it that is driving me? What's the motivator here? And I realized everything that I'm doing that I commit to is significant. And I realized I want significance. I want influence and I want significance. And then I realized that there's just the things that I would say and the way that I would talk and my view of the world that I would say, it's not going to last, it's not going to last. We need, and I would always say stuff, we need to build stuff that goes out three, four generations. And I found myself always in that conversation. And I always was very frustrated with people who would live in the temporary when it would be just this immediate. I always used to be, dare I use the word, I've repented many times, so pray for me lest I need to repent more. But I would be very, um, I don't want to use the critical and I don't want to be judgmental because that was never really my motive. Um, but I would use, I would probably say I was critical of ministries that never built a legacy. And I was concerned with that because we have things that go on around the world that are codependent upon one person. Well, what happens when that one person dies? That ministry fails. Haiti's littered with it. If you ever go to Haiti and do a missions trip down there, there are compounds that ministries used to hold. Alex, where's Alex? Your whole, your whole, your whole um, orphanages collapsed because the minute it was dependent upon one person in another country, and they changed, and now, all, now there was nothing built there. There was no infrastructure built there. Like, if you go to Haiti, you'll see compounds, ministry compounds that are there that are run down. They look like ghost towns. Why? Because the ministry was there for 10 years, and the guy that was really passionate about Haiti died or moved on, and so no longer does that ministry support Haiti, and so the, it's gone. They built something that was only for one generation. They didn't build anything that had any intention beyond the generation that they stood in. There was no plan of legacy, nothing that went beyond its own life. So I realized these are three core things about myself. I want significance. It has to matter or I don't want to do it. I want a seat at the table or I'm not going to play the game. I just, that's, I, I used to see myself, I'd be invited to be in church networks all the time. And we go and be in church networks and we get around church networks and I'd drive my wife nuts because I would be out the door like that. And it would be like, why do you keep leaving these groups? I go, because I'm not sitting in the chair for 10 years. I'm at a different stage in my life. I feel like I don't feel like. No, I have something to contribute to this. I don't mind building relationships. I don't mind getting to know each other. But if you just accept, expect me to sit there while you drizzle down golden nuggets upon me and expect me to you know, build adulations towards you and you begin to use our church as nothing more than another piece in your network and there's no seat at the table, I don't have time for it. Amen. It's got to be significant and I have to have influence in it. I just, we're going to connect with another group that we've connected to before, and I just told one of the people, I said, and I've been trying to reach out to the leaders, because they're like, why, hey, you know, we haven't heard from you. I'm like, I haven't heard from you. I got one email from you in two years. What do you mean you haven't heard from me? You know? And I sent the guy back. I said, look, if you, I'm really interested in what you guys are doing, and I'm really interested in the network, but I need, I need, I need, to, I need to be a part of the conversation. It's just how I am. Not everybody's like that. But see, you have to, you have to be self-aware. You have to know what you are. 
And so I know that I want significance, and I know I have to have a seat at the table. There has to be some measure of influence. I have to have any, some kind of influence, and it has to be something that I can see that goes beyond my own life and goes beyond my generation. And those things I say yes to immediately. Immediately. So you take what God has given you and you begin to present it. Lord, I know now that I want, I know now that I want significance. I know now that I want influence. And I know now that I want legacy. And I'm asking you for the vision of heaven that relates to those things. Here it comes. Here it comes. Come, it'll start coming in waves. Waves. And what you'll start doing is you'll start recognizing because now you and the Lord are in partnership. He knows how I'm made. He knows I want significance. He knows I want influence. He knows I want legacy. And now I'm able to recognize when God's bringing something to me as opposed to when it's not. And what it does is it creates a filter, and I say no to, I say no to lots of things. But I say yes to a lot of stuff, and I say yes really quickly. God tells us to do a vision. He gives us a vision to do a school. I don't have any idea how to do a school. None at all. I mean, we've learned over the last three years. We're about to launch a school. I got the keys this week. We signed the lease in June. They just gave us the keys. So, you know. That's going to happen. That's in reality. But I had to ask myself, okay, if we commit in this direction, does this have significance? And the Lord would show me, yes. You're going to significantly impact the lives of these children, the lives of their families, their neighborhoods. This is significant. Do we have influence? Yes. You're given free reign. We can teach them the gospel. We can develop them. We can give them spiritual power. We have a lot of potential for influence. Is this something that will go past my life? Or past the lifetime, is this something that can go out two, three, four generations? The Lord says, yes, you build it the right way. This is good. We have a 15-year, they give us a 15-year lease. 15 years. I don't know if you all are in commercial real estate at all. 15-year leases aren't that common. It's usually a five with a five. They gave us 15-year flat with a lot of options attached to it that are to our advantage. It's amazing. And so I said yes to that. You understand? What I'm trying to do is get you to narrow and get you to understand the, what, what, what has to take place. I'm living this stuff. It took me a while, and it's going to take you a while, but you have to engage these questions. Alex comes to me. Start talking to this guy, Alex, right? Some of you were actually shocked. My wife about fell out of the chair because I said yes so quickly. I said yes so quickly, and Sherry's just like, because she knows me. I don't say yes quickly at all. I'm super slow. Unless I hear the glory of God and the Lord has given me the wisdom on it, I, I'm, I wait. I wait until I have a go. But I know when God is talking to me now, and I know, and I looked at this, and we're going to start planting churches in India. Do we know what we're doing? Uh, somewhat, but not in that culture. In the next three years, we're going to start planting churches. His father, long story, but his father was networking with a bunch of pastors, and his father has a calling to, to, to plant churches in India. His father's gotten entangled with a bunch of orphanages. Right? Am I right? Am I telling the story correctly? And so what ended up happening is we started having a connection. And I was just like, man, dude, I don't want to do orphanages. I don't want to do orphanages. And then he started saying his dad's a church planner. And I was like, your dad's a church planner? It's like, really? And he said, yeah, he has influence with over 200 pastors. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, he's like, no. And I'm like, all right. And so I started going, okay, what about this? And I go, now that we can do. Now that we can do. And I just told him, he said, we don't need 200. And I'm asking him about the culture. We're having these interviews. I'm like, what's going on? He said, they don't know anything. And so I go, okay, Lord, they don't know anything. So are we going to do this? You need to tell me how to do it. Immediately, the vision comes. He says, disciple them, make them disciples, make them ministers, and then make them pastors. Take two years to develop them and start launching churches year three. I just told him, I said, we don't need 200. We need 20. And I said, of those 20, I need eight that are successful. And of those eight, we're going to start planting foundational, grounded, rooted spiritual churches in India. And I just told you, I said, do you understand? Alex's birthday was this week, and he's asking the Lord for a gift. And I was, we just had this kind of thing. I was talking to him, and I told him, I said, do you understand 
where you are. I'm like, the Lord has literally chosen you to be a bridge to your nation. If this goes as God would have it to go, you are going to impact a region, a region. And this church will impact a region of the world, a region. It's, it's, it's an honor. It's, 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 we're chosen to do this. And, I, and it's like the glory just comes on it and it's full. But how could I say yes to that? Because it matches the criteria by which I'm wired. I'm wired to be significant, to be influential, and to build legacy. That's how I'm wired. And so I can say no to that immediately, and not only, does the, not only does that line up, but the glory falls on it immediately. Why? Because I'm in harmony with my creation. I'm in harmony with how God has made me, and I'm presenting a vision, I'm presenting a desire based upon the way I'm created. That's how he wants to work in all of you. But you have to understand what you want. What do you want? I want money. Why? It's beyond money. It's intrinsic values. It's, it's, it's created nature. You're created with a nature. The money, you think God has a problem with money. Does anybody here think Jesus has a problem with money? Heaven's not broke. It's never been broke. He creates an earth that you're standing on right now. While we sit here, this earth is a wealth generator. This earth is making gold. This earth is making silver. This earth is making uh, oil. This earth is making turquoise. This earth is literally manufacturing wealth as we speak. And he made it. So you think, you know what Jesus told me last week? I was praying about it. I was talking about this. Ah, he's, like, he's like, you think money's my problem, Kevin? I paved my streets with it. You think I got an issue with gold? I use it for asphalt. It's irrelevant. Resources are attached to your prophetic calling. You want resources? Find your prophetic calling and enter that, and the resources will come. And they'll be, they'll be stapled with a sheet of wisdom and opportunity, and into those things will come the resources. This is how the game is played. It's how it's played. Oh, we just need to, oh, oh. you know, we, we teach all this dumb stuff. Like, can we do this practically? Can we actually bring something forward that works, that actually fundamentally manifests the kingdom? and not just abstract. I told first service, we have these statements that we make in churches for 10 years. Oh, the Lord's gonna do this. Oh, God has said this, God has said this, God has said this, and I think 10 years go by and nothing's gone on. We're just waiting on the timing, we're waiting on the timing. You know what, you know, God's waiting on the partnership. God's waiting on you to understand what the, what's going on here, and he's waiting on you to get partners and, and then begin to partner with him. Identity is huge. You have to find out in your life what's meaningful, what matters to you, what matters to you. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? What recurring things do you not want to do? You need to list three values or three things that give you meaning. What gives you meaning? What gives you, I'll give you my journey, okay? Here's my journey. When you learn what, has, what gives you meaning, everybody say this, when I discover what brings me meaning, I need to double down. That's right. That's right. When you find what brings you meaning, there's your area to double down. And I was thinking about it. I was watching this show. I just like all this stuff. And how people like, oh, just had a really great time on a vacation. Oh, right on jet skis. Oh, over here, don't ask all this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I've done some of that. And it didn't really give me meaning. Even a vacation. A vacation, if, it, if I don't know about y'all, but it doesn't really satisfy me. I mean, but it doesn't satisfy me. And so I started asking myself, what? The question. I was like, what satisfies me? And you know what satisfies me? The glory of God. You know what satisfies me? The deep, intimate presence of the Lord, that's what satisfies me. When I have the glory of God and I'm, in his, and I'm in his atmosphere and in his presence, I don't need a vacation. 
I don't need a million dollars. I'd like a million dollars. I'd like a vacation. So if you want to help me out with that, that'd be great. But <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But the, 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 but you, you know what I'm saying? The, the, you're satisfied. And so if the presence of God is what satisfies me, there you double down. What satisfies you? What brings you meaning? What's going on in your life that you don't need to do? What do you really want and why do you want it? What, ready? Here, we're going to get real personal. You ready for this one? What kind of friends do you want? Let's just be clear. What kind of friends do you want? Real ones? Yay. You know what I'm believing God for? In the next five years, I'm going to be very good friends with three to five highly influential people. That's what I'm believing God for. It isn't going to happen overnight. You think, well, next week, I'm going to be friends with an influential person. No, you won't. But in two years, you might. In five years, you might. You see, I'm believing God that I'm going to be friends, friends with three to five very influential people, highly influential people, more influential than me. Not that I'm anything, but you know, at another level than myself. You understand what I'm saying? What does that require? It makes me. It makes it means I got to change. It means I've got to cut the slag out of my life. Anything that's like being this, and I've got to allow my life to come to another level. And then I've got to create different associations. I have to begin to put myself in different circles. Some of you, you want, your, you want your business to become influential. You're going to have to get rid of some of the stuff, and you're going to have to begin to put your business in a position where it can be influenced. And that requires time. You may have to join some associations. You might have to join some clubs. You may have to go to a few luncheons, 100 luncheons, and only two of them are worth your time. You know, But you need to build those kind of things. That's what has to happen if you want it. What kind of friends do you have? I'll give you, do you want? What kind of person do you want to be? This is a question nobody asks. Have you ever asked yourself, what kind of person do I want to be? Who do I really want to be? What do I want the story to be that comes out of my life? What do I want to be? That's a great question. What kind of person do you want to be? That, what you want. You will hit only what you aim at. If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit nothing. And the idea is to narrow and to create a target by which you can aim your life and your choices at. What kind of job do you want? What kind of family do you want? What kind of marriage do you want? Here's another one. What kind of faith do you want? Do you want casual Christianity? Join the sheep club. You're just going to hurdle with the masses. The masses of Christians are nothing but casual Christians, cultural Christians. Christianity is a convenience for them. It's a convenience. I show up when I want to. I come when I want to. I do what I want. I serve when I want. Make sure it's not too cold in here. Make sure I got vibrating chairs. Don't offend me. Turn that down a little bit. Don't say anything uncomfortable. Don't challenge me. Casual Christians. It's the majority of the church. Carnal, the Bible would actually use. But just casual. What kind of faith do you want? Christianity doesn't work at 50%, so you know. Christianity only works when you're all in. Or it doesn't work at all. That's why we have broken wheels. We have measure of faith without fullness. Because people don't go all in. And they don't allow the transformation and the uncomfortable things that the Lord inevitably will do in your life. They don't allow that to come forth. He's going to make you uncomfortable. Jesus is a rock of offense. He's not pinwheels, cotton candy, rainbows in my little pony. That's fairy Jesus. That's not gospel Jesus. Jesus will confront you. You know not what spirit you're of. Get behind me, Satan. Brood of vipers. You know, I mean, he, he has no problem telling you what time it is. No problem. And if you can't take it, then you don't. When, when, you, when he tells you something difficult and you want to go suck your thumb in a corner, you don't know who you are and you don't know who he is. Jesus, when you learn to let Jesus tell you the difficult things, you know he loves you. You know you're loved. 
when you will not allow him to tell you the difficult things, you don't know you're loved. Because he, just because he tells you the difficult thing does not mean he doesn't love you. Just because he tells you the difficult thing does not mean he's rejecting you. Anything Jesus tells us is for your glory. I tell you this story all the time. God tells me you lack faith, Kevin. You have a spirit of unbelief. I was like, are you nuts? I'm asking God for certain things. I'm believing God. All the stuff. If you come here, I'll train you in it and I'll talk about it. I practice this stuff. I'm believing God for the high thing. What do you want? I want this, Lord. Where do you want to go, Lord? I want this, Lord. I want to go there. This is where I want to go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And the Lord will tell me certain things. He'll speak over my life. Things that have even been confirmed with prophetic word. And I don't do it. The Lord sits me down and goes, Kevin, you have, you have a sin of unbelief. I'm asking him. You know what you start asking? If God is ready, this is going to blow some of your minds. If God has told you this is who you are and this is what I'm going to do, if he's given you a prophetic word or a prophetic direction over your life and it hasn't happened and it seems like it's not, it behooves you to ask him, Lord, why isn't this manifesting? Why isn't this happening? And hold the chair because he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you. He's going to say, you're lazy and you don't do what I told you. He's going to tell you. You, and, and then you're going to go, he said I'm lazy, because he doesn't want, he's not looking for infants, ladies and gentlemen. He's looking for sons and daughters that know who they are and don't get offended when he tells them what time it is. That's what he's looking for. And so he tells me, Kevin, you have the sin of unbelief. I'm like, are you nuts? I mean, literally, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Faith is my middle name. I jump without a parachute, Lord. I do. I'll risk it all, all in, all in. It's okay, all that's true. But if you believe the prophetic word that I've spoken over you, you would be living differently. And because you are not making those choices, you don't believe that I'm actually going to manifest it. Crickets. Some of you had a word over you. You've had God give you plans, purposes, values, everything. He's told you things. He said even to you, daughter, or he said over you even in the most simplest worm, and there's nothing, the power is always in the simple. He said, princess, princess. And then you're always sucking your thumb, you're always running around, and he looks at you and he goes, you have the sin of unbelief. And you go, why do I have the sin of unbelief? Because if you really believed you were my princess, you wouldn't be making the decisions you're making. You wouldn't tolerate the things in your life that you tolerate. You wouldn't yield when I've told you to stand. If you really knew who you were, you don't know who you are. And then you're like, oh my gosh, woe is me, I'm undone. And then you know what you have to do? You have to repent. You have to return it to him. Lord, I give it back to you. Transform me, change me. I've had prophetic words spoken over me multiple times. I still get it all the time. I do it, and I'm almost immediate with my action on it, unless the Lord tells me to slow down. Had a word spoken over to me, over me, and I don't know what I'm doing. So, okay, when you get a word, God's expecting you to act on it. He's not expecting you to know what you're doing, but he is expecting you to act on it. He's expecting you to do something with it. So I had the same word over me multiple times. And if I can't get into all the details of it, but one of the, de- one of the, one of the words over me repeatedly, and I just got it last year, probably seven months ago, again, again. Alejandro was here, and he goes, Pastor, the Lord is giving you keys. I've had the word keys multiple times. I've had people tell you the keys, all this stuff and thing, but there's always been one key that always stood out. Always one key. Always. And he was like, he has given you the key to media. I had the same key. I've had that four times. I never did anything with it, right? And so I was like, okay, he's giving me the key to media. La-da-da, God's giving me the key to media. Give me the microphone. The Lord said to me that I have the key to media. 
You know what? Who cares? Who cares? That word, although it's alive, will lay dormant until you do something with it. And you know what I began to do? I began to back up and go, what am I supposed to do with this key to media, Lord? And he, and he starts giving me a plan. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. And he's like, get rid of everything else and do what I told you. You have time for it. I gave you, heaven has spoken over you. Why do you wait? Why do you wait? God has spoken. The word is a kairos word. It's a now word. Do it now. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not expecting you to. I'm expecting you to move forward because the vision speaks when we move. The vision does not speak unless we move. Habakkuk. Run with the vision and the vision will speak. The vision's not talking to you until you move. Well, I'm just waiting on the vision to speak. Keep waiting. Write it and run with it. You don't write it, you don't run with it, vision's not talking. Vision starts talking. God starts opening up and opening it up and opening up. We have a little bean camera standing right there in front of me. You know why? Because he told me to do media. That's why. <laughs> and he gives you a whole plan. And I don't know what I'm doing, but we're putting it together and we're moving it forward. And he's already adding other layers to it. And I'm like, yeah, I know. You, you told me to do that too. I know, I know. I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. And you know what he does? He tells me, he adds me this other thing. And he says, remember when I told you to do this and you didn't do it, which is again a media thing. And I, I remember that. And he goes, I want you to do that too. And I'm like, I'm going to. But you know what you do? You present the plan. You guys are, if you guys, this is what I'm giving you is 24 karat gold. I am giving you 20. And some of you are just going to wave while it floats right by you. It's going to go right over your head. You will not hear this anywhere else. I'm not a theorist. I'm a practitioner. I'm not giving you gospel theory. I'm not giving you gospel theology for the sake of theology. I'm giving you gospel kingdom reality. This is what you're getting. This works because I apply it. And I'm giving you best practices from a practitioner. I apply this. And the reason that I apply it is that so you can benefit from it. But you'll only benefit from it if you actually honor what's being taught to you this morning. This is random. I didn't even teach anywhere near this the first service. So he's telling me, and you know what he does? He says, I want you to do this too. And I go, I know, but we can't. And here's why we can't. And he goes, well, what do you need? Oh, this is what he'll ask you. What do you need? And I'll go, I need this. I need this. I need this. And then he'll cross off the excuses. He'll go, you don't need that. You don't need that, but you do need this. So how am I going to get this, Lord? Well, I want you to do this. And when you do this, this is going to do this. And that's going to enable you to do this, which will enable you to do that. It's relationship. It's not religion. If you want destiny and high calling, it is only through relationship. And relationship with the Holy Spirit is going to make you very uncomfortable. You're not used to it. Your natural mind's not used to it. Your natural body's not used to it. You're not used to the communion. You're not used to, you don't, you're like, well, how can I trust him? I don't know, you know, and you're into this whole slurry of things. But you have to discipline yourself in those ways or you'll never have it. You'll never have it. You'll never have it. God wants you to have it, but you'll never unless these things begin to happen and you begin to act on these things. What needs to change in order for these things to be pursued? What has to happen? What needs to be added? What needs to be... Here's a big one. Time waster. Some of you had visions on your life and you waste four hours a day. Average American wastes four hours a day. Four hours a day. Doing what? Nothing. Binge watching TV, watching around, giving yourself a little scratch, staring out the window. Four hours a day wasted. That equates to 1,400 hours a year. That's 30, 40-hour work weeks. You're wasting. You're wasting. You have to reclaim time. You have to stop binge-watching TV and start working on your destiny. 
You, some of you, you need, you need revenue. You need to create a, a side hustle in order to build up a base of money in order to enable you to do the thing that God has told you to do. You have to do a side hustle. Well, I'm waiting on the money. Yeah? Put on your dickies, zip it up, and get, up, and get working. Well, I already work a job. Well, you may have to work too. I don't want to work too. Okay. Bible says you're double-minded in all your ways. Let that person believe that they will receive nothing from the Lord. Most people, they do the side hustle. They go, they do Uber, they do the delivery, whatever it is they're doing. And here again, you live in the, you live in the 21st century. You live in the age of the internet. There is no excuse. None. Your grandparents didn't have the internet. The shop closed at six. There was no more sales. You can set up stuff on the internet. You can go 24-7. You can, well, Uber doesn't pay that much. I heard somebody tell me. I'm like, yeah, I know. But it pays more than zero doesn't it? Last time I looked, it's more than nothing. It's true. Well, my time's worth more. Really? My time's worth $25 an hour. Really? So Netflix is going to pay you $25 an hour to sit there and watch those shows? I doubt it. Your time's worth so much, then apply it. Your time's only worth what somebody's willing to pay you. Your time's worth no more than what a person's willing to pay you. You can establish your marker. You can say, I make 500 an hour. Nobody pays you. You don't make 500 an hour. Nobody's giving you a dollar. <laughs> and you want things, and some of you need money. Some of you, you could start something entirely different with five or $10,000. You have a dream, you have a vision, you have a purpose, and you can do five or $10,000 selling on eBay. You can do five or $10,000 driving for Uber. You can go, oh, it might take me a year. It might take me to a year and a half. Yeah, it might take you a year. It might take you a year of your Fridays and Saturday nights. Yes, it might. Yes, it might. It just might. But you're going to give up a small amount of time to gain a greater future. The question is, is what do you want? The, big thing, the biggest problem with Americans is lazy. Natural-born Americans are more lazy than the immigrants that come to our country. That's why immigrants surpass natural-born Americans very quickly. Because they understand America is not economic equality. Crickets. That's the political conversation. America needs to be economic equality. America was not founded on economic equality. America was founded on economic opportunity. Big difference. And that's why migrant people come here from a place that don't have any opportunity. They understand that America is not equal in finances. Not everybody gets the same wage. But if I work and apply myself, I have open doors here that I don't have in Venezuela. I have open doors that I don't have in Cuba, in Colombia, in India, in Pakistan. I have open doors here that don't exist anywhere in the world. Not even in Eastern, not even in Western Europe. You want to open a dry cleaner in Germany? You got to go to school for two years to open up a dry cleaning. And then you got to apprentice for another two years before they actually license you. It costs you four years of your life just before you can open up a dry cleaner. You know what takes you here in the United States? You got the money to pay for the goods. You got the money to get the license. Go on, on down and do it. Because it is a hierarchy of competence. If you know what you're doing, you'll succeed. If you don't, well, and we don't like it. Oh, those aren't fair rules. That's the way the games play. And when you understand that America is not economic equality, it's not. It's not. Our founding, the founding of this country was not based on economic opportunity, ever. It's not. It's, you can research it. But it is based on economic opportunity. Every single one of you in the room is all equal. You all have opportunity. Every one of you. The only one stopping you is you. Oh, no, 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 no. You need to give up your excuses. The only one stopping you is you. Your unwillingness to discipline your time, your unwillingness to focus, your unwillingness to invest in the time that it takes to learn a new skill, learn a new development, learn a new platform. You need to take, you say, well, I could sell things on eBay. Well, then take 50 hours of your life and learn eBay. 
Take 50 hours of your life and learn how people actually make money on Uber. There are people making money on Uber. There are. What do you do? You do what they do. They're doing something to make money. We, I met a guy who quit, he was like an accountant at Carnival Cruise Lines. He no longer works as an accountant at Carnival Cruise Lines, he rides Uber all the time. But he, he, knows how, he knows how to play the game. You see, he doesn't just go out there randomly and wait for the phone to ring. Yeah, I'm just waiting. He knows, I need to be at this place at this hour, I need to be around this place at this hour, I need to be over here at this hour. He understands the rhythm of people's lives and the rhythm of the city, and he puts himself in the position where the, where the flow is gonna happen. That's called wisdom. We have no excuses, no excuses, no excuses. I tell my kids all the time, the Calvary's not coming. You're looking for somebody to do, it's not coming. You have Jesus, the spirit, the kingdom, and wisdom. And it's only based on your own work ethic. You don't have work ethic, good luck. Good luck. We diminish work ethic at the expense of education. And so now here we have a flipped up culture. You wanna talk about our culture? I can give you all day on my culture. My culture is a highly educated culture with intensely lazy people. Oh, we got masters and we got PhDs and they're lazy as could be. See the guy getting kicked out of his house at 30 years old? The guy had a master's degree and his parents had to evict him because he was living in their basement and he wouldn't leave. He is one level below the highest education our, our system can give him. He's got a master's degree. He's in his 30s. He's living in his parents' basement. He won't leave and he won't get a job. We got to evict him. That's our culture. We need to value work ethic. If you got to pick one or the other, work ethic beats, beats education every time. I say, I don't know about that. Put it, up, put it to the test. Put it to the test. I can show you lawn care guys down here in Homestead that are making six figures. And I can show you guys that have master's degrees that are making 60000 a year. Work ethic beats education every time. Unless you're gonna work for MIT, or unless you're gonna go into an elite corporation, or anything like that. And I'm not against education. But we need to take, if you got work ethic and education, the game, then you're, you're really got a winning hand. But if all you got is education, but you don't have work ethic, I've worked with a couple of guys when I was doing business before. They both, both these guys are CPAs, and, and they're pushing brooms on a job site. You know, I'm a journeyman carpenter, and I'm like, why are you guys pushing brooms on a, jo on a job site? And they're like, oh, we went to school, you know, we partied, and we really don't like being accountants. I'm like, and they didn't want to work. What they were doing is they were working for beer money, they were working for party money, but they were both CPAs. They had both done all of the schooling, done everything, they got jobs with firms, went into the firms, realized this isn't what, we don't like rules, we don't want to do this, and they dropped out and everything. You know, colossal waste of time. Unemployed debtors. No job and nothing but huge college debt that you can't dismiss. Are you against college? Not in any way. Now, if, it, if it's gonna bankrupt you, 100%. If it's, gonna, if it's gonna bring you somewhere and it's gonna take you somewhere, then do go for it. But if you don't have work ethic, I don't care what kind of education you have, it's not gonna help you. It won't, you have to have work ethic. You may not agree with me, that's okay. <laughs> the market proves it. The market proves it. Corporations work on a different level. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll advance you based on the degree you have, but real life doesn't work that way. In corporations, and many of you know, you can advance in a corporation, but as soon as you get to a certain pay age, a pay scale or, pay, or age, they're looking to get you out and they're gonna take two young guys and, pay, and put you in their place, like that. New guy worked for IBM, 15 years worked for IBM, was a coder programmer, whole deal. Big money, made $150,000 a year. 
Big money, right? Shows up one day, boom, your job's been eliminated. Just like that. Go downstairs and get your severance package. <laughs> 15 months severance for 15 years of, of work. One month per year, that was it. Carried his benefits for, you know, he got his benefits for 15 months. He got, his, he got a check for 15 months. He got a buyout and everything, but he was gone. No loyalty, no commitment. Say, that's not fair. That's the market. That's the market. Would he have had that job without an education? No. So again, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I know I'm stepping on toes. Like, wait a minute, are you trying to say? No, I'm trying to say have a work ethic. Work ethic will, will pave the, fee, the, it's the same thing in the gospel. Christianity, we're lazy. We are so lazy. Lazy. We don't ask the questions we need to ask. We don't pursue the things that we're supposed to pursue. We don't grow into the knowledge that we're supposed to grow in because we're lazy. We're lazy. And we assume the standard of everybody else. I told first service, you're accountable for your potential. All of us will stand before Christ. If you have Jesus in your heart, you are forgiven and born again, and you will enter the kingdom. But whether or not you enter that kingdom with any measure of reward, of reward is based upon your choices in this world. You will be held accountable for the potential that has been committed to you. 100%. Read the parable of the talents. You are you are responsible for, to the Lord for what has been committed to you. Jesus doesn't invest without expecting a return. They all knew it. They all knew he doesn't invest without expecting something back. They all knew it. And the one said, well, I was afraid and I buried it. And he didn't accept that as an excuse at all. And so what it is, is like, what are you accountable for? All of us are accountable for these three things. You're accountable to know him. Not just about him, but know him and to pursue the knowledge of who he is. The second aspect, and all of this leads to destiny, is you are responsible to pursue who you are to him. Identity is the baseline of the whole, of the whole system. Who he is, who he is to you, and who you are to him and who he has called you to be. And then from that point, you discover your purpose and you live towards the purpose. And that every believer will be accountable for. Everyone. It's not what you did for Jesus. It's you're accountable for the potential that you carry, the personal potential. You don't just write a check or you don't just mail it in. He's given you something about you that you're responsible for, and you'll account for it. And that accounting will relate to the reward that you receive in heaven. Some will make it in, but by smoke, the Bible tells us. So you're going to make it in. You're not going to have anything. But then it also tells us that our works will be tried. That's talking to the believer. And what was done in selfish nature or apart from the kingdom will be burned away like hay and wooden stubble. And what was done for the kingdom and in line with his purposes and his glory will be refined as gold and it'll be handed to you. You're going to come into the kingdom and he's like, let's weigh it out. Here you go. He's going to hand it to you. And other people are going to be walking by with nothing, blowing the smoke off their rear end because they barely got in. They did nothing. Well, they showed up on Sunday, but they didn't do anything. They barely knew Jesus. What did Jesus say when he comes? He says, I don't know you. You don't think it's not important to know him? Not know about him, but know him intimately. Intimately. We have to know him. We're responsible for this. You can hit the next slide. We have to know him. And we're accountable. And so this stuff about purpose and destiny is, all, is very, very important. I'll tell you, the bulk, the bulk of Christians are in for a culture shock when they stand before him. He's going to go, yeah, I remember you. Didn't I tell you to do like 30 things and you didn't listen to me at all? And it's like, it's like crazy. What you're responsible for, like at the beginning, let's just take the beginning. So if some of you are like, oh, wow, you're really laying this heavy on me. No, here's the deal. What you should be working on you should be working on who you are to him. 
Who am I, Lord, and who are you? People draw their identities from their occupation, their education, their family. They draw their, they draw, oh, I'm a plumber, or I'm a carpenter, or I'm an accountant, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a father, or I'm a mother, or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a PhD. I'm a, this is all the places we draw. I'm a dolphin fan. This is all the places we draw our identity from. What you are is you are a son and daughter. That's who you are. That's, I am a son of the highest, and I'm a father. I am a son of the highest, and I'm a husband. I'm a son of the highest, and I'm a missional leader. That's who I am. So everything else subjects itself to that identity, and everything else in my life flows through that identity. I do those things as a son of the highest. I don't do those things apart from that identity. You're a mother as a daughter of the highest. You are a business owner as a son or a daughter as the highest. They're not, they're not compartmentalized. You are about your father's business, and we go about it in our father's way and in our father's manner. This is the, this is the deal. And on that, you'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. Because the baseline is always identity. Always identity. It's not, and that's, that's the point. Your choices are very, very important. You can't you can change your future by changing what you choose. Jesus gives you three options. Here's three options. Here's the option that we all have. Happy day. We got options? Yeah, we do. We can align with a future that he has planned. We can create our own future if we want, or we can drift with no plan at all. He's not going to work any harder than you. You can drift with no plan at all. Israel went around the mountain with no plan at all. They died in the wilderness with no plan at all. He's okay. You want to drift with no plan at all? That's fine. You want to create your own purpose? Good luck. He's like, I'll be here when you need me. Or will you want to start discovering what he has for you? Gives you a choice. This is Deuteronomy. You can read it later. Deuteronomy 30. It said, if you obey him and you live, you'll be successful and powerful. So I'm giving you a choice. Life, death, blessing, cursing. Which one you want? I'm giving you a choice. You can choose. You can have my will. You can have my way. You can have my purposes. You can have my calling. You can have my identity. Or you can have your own. It's up to you. You can have life. You can have death. Moses made major mistakes. So I'm going to just show you a couple things about Moses. Moses' choices. So Moses made major mistakes. Can I get a witness? <laughs> but God used him greatly. You can hit the next slide. I'll try to hit it on the next slide. But anyway, leave it there. The first thing Moses did is he refused a cultural identity. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as Pharaoh's, son, Pharaoh's daughter. Moses refused the labels that were placed upon him by a culture. Moses refused the labels that were placed upon him by his family. Moses refused the labels. No one had the right to label Moses. Moses, you, nobody has the right to label you. Only Jesus. You can let them, but nobody has the right to label you except the Lord. You have to be brutal in defending that. People are going to tell you all kinds of things about what you are and who you are, even your own conscience. Your, your own conscience is going to tell you what you are. You are not that. You are not... Uh, this person. You are a son of the highest. You are not this. You are a daughter of the highest. And you go, I don't even know what that means. It doesn't matter if you know what it means. You need to start owning the identity. You can own the identity without knowing what it means. I'm a son of the highest. What does that mean? I'm not sure. I'm figuring it out, but I know that. It, at least I know that's what I am. <laughs> I'm a daughter of the highest. What's that mean? I don't know, but I'm figuring it out. And at least I'm at the point where at least I know and I'm solid that this is who I am. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a parent. I'm not a husband. I'm not a this. All of that stuff is secondary to this is my primary identity. It's beyond Christian. We use this identity as Christians. 
We're Christians. Yeah, we're Christites. We're images of Christ. You know, well, I'm a Christian first. No, you're a son and a daughter first. That changes the dynamic entirely. The whole dynamic of, that understand, of, of our relationship with God shifts entirely. If you allow others to, to define you, you'll never move into influence. People draw their identity from all of these different things. We have an intrinsic question inside of us of who we are. It's that idea that you're created is a question. So you're sons and daughters. You're a son of the, of the highest or a daughter of the highest who is a parent. You're a son of the highest or a daughter of the, of the highest who is a husband, a business owner, an, a, 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 you know, whatever you do for your, whatever your occupation is. That, that's, you are this and that. Don't be conformed to this world. Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not let the world's conformingness put that on you. Do not limit yourself. At some point, you have to choose to be who you are. You have to make a choice. At some point, you've got to make a decision as to who you are. If you, don't, if you don't let heaven define who you are, and you don't accept the identity of heaven, the culture will define you. You ever get around your family? Your family likes to define you, particularly if they're an older generation, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, Kevin, oh, yeah. They love to define you. They love to put you in limited terms. When I became a believer and I would see, get around some of my old friends, they would all see me in light of the person that I was, not in light of the person that I now am. You have to eliminate people who cannot see you for who you are. This is a brutal, this is a brutal thing that has to happen too. Next slide. Moses played the game long and not short. Say this with me. The game, come on, the game is long. Everybody's playing short. Life's long. The game that we're in, the kingdom that we're in, the journey that we're on is a long road. It's not a short road. Everybody plays short. If you look at the Gospels, you look at the kingdom, you look at all through the scripture. I just said this uh, uh, luncheon, lady sitting next to me, she's been in ministry a long time. She feels like God passed her over. She feels like her windows go. I'm like, who told you that? I'm like, who told you that? She's like, well, I, you know, I don't understand. I'm this old, I'm this age, and you know, it's over. And I said, every single person that God, read your Bible. Somebody show me one that God used in a powerful way under the age of 30. You won't find them. You won't find them. Moses, Abraham, Joseph, uh, Paul, John, all through the scripture, everybody that was significantly used in a powerful, memorable way was on the back side of their life. Every one of them. The front side of their life, including David. David didn't do anything except kill the giant, and then he ran for his life until he was in his 30s. He didn't even ascend the throne until he was 30 years old. He was on the run. He was 16 years old when he was anointed, and he ran from Saul for over 13 years. He was 29 years old, 30 years old when he stepped up. No, no, there's not one person, and then he made a boatload of mistakes even in that period of time, but there's not one person in the scripture that God used on the front side of their life. Every one of them, the game's long. The culture values the short. The kingdom values the long. It's a long view. So you have to take that. Moses played long. He didn't play short. You have to make choices that are attached to, to long-term goals. In order for some of you to change, you go, I can't possibly change, Kevin. I'm too committed. My life is going in this direction. Yeah, you couldn't change now, but you can change in 24 months. You can make a plan where you begin to back things up, retool, and in 24 months, you can be heading in an, in an entirely different direction. That's exactly what Paul did. Paul the apostle, you guys know the story? Paul spent the first half of his life doing it the wrong way. So if you feel like you've spent the first half of your life doing it the wrong way, well, let me introduce you to Paul. Paul spent the first half of his life doing everything the wrong way. And when he encountered Jesus and he realized, I've been doing this all wrong, Paul didn't immediately preach the gospel. The Bible says he went into the wilderness for three years. People think Paul had the Damascus Road and immediately he starts preaching. That's not the narrative. 
Paul encountered Jesus, and then he, he, he realized, whoa, I'm, everything's out of whack here. Everything I've built my life upon is wrong. Huh. Everything, ready? Everything I have built my life upon and everything that I have placed value in is wrong. And he went away for three years. And what did he do for three years? He retooled his life. He began to transform his thinking, began to transform his, probably did a lot of repenting. Oh, I'm so wrong with that. I'm so wrong with that. But he retooled himself. He backed away, retooled himself, repurposed himself, and went into the second half of his life and in a completely different direction. And Paul's known for the second half of his life. He's not known for the first half of his life. It's the same thing. It's what ends up happening. You have to play the game long. We abuse our bodies with drugs and alcohol for short-term gain. How many knows you lose that game long-term? <laughs> drugs is a one-way ride. You stay at the same job because it's easier to watch movies than work on your future. You ignore an issue that you have to deal with because it's easier to sleep than pray. You, know, you ignore issues in the family or things that have to be dealt with because it's easier to ignore it than it is to actually deal with the issue. It's easier to sleep than it is to actually get up and seek the Lord, pray, and read your Bible. How many knows that's true, right? That pillow's nice and comfortable, especially that cool underside, and you're hugging it, you know? You have no, you have, there's the greatest romantic experience in the Christian's life is with their pillow on Sunday morning. Oh, that's a love affair. You and that pillow are bonded on Sunday for some reason. No other day of the week is quite like that one. You just can't get out of, get it going. So our choices are free, but your consequences are not. Choices are free, but consequences are not. Um, Perseverance. Some of you have to be patient. Jesus will use the consequences and poor choices, and your circumstances are not the end of your story. This is good news. Your circumstances are not the end of your story. You're not defined by your circumstances. Your circumstances won't define you, but your choices will. So things happen. People, places, things, things happen. Circumstances happen to you, but that is not the, that's not the end of your story. What you can choose to allow that circumstance to destroy you, or you can choose to move forward through that circumstance. That's what will define you. The circumstance isn't your defining point. Your choice is your defining point. That's it. Next slide. Moses lived, chose to live by kingdom values, not cultural values. He chose the disgrace of Christ for, as a greater value. The king, we have two cultures. We have the earthly culture. We have the kingdom culture. The earthly culture values popularity. The kingdom values purpose. So what we have to do is we have to have a kingdom mindset. You have to realize that the world values popularity. Jesus isn't interested in popularity as much as he is in purpose. <laughs> Jesus ran from popularity everywhere he went. They wanted to make him king. But when it came to his purpose, for this reason I have come. He's driven by purpose and not by popularity. The earth values personal pleasure. The kingdom values personal sacrifice for a higher good. So the culture says, it's all about me. We have churches that create, it's all about you. Come in and let us love you. Come in and let us just feed you and stuff you to absolute bloated consumption and then send you out the door so that you're going to do nothing with it. That's, that's what, that we, we, we actually fashion churches that are king, that we don't say to people, this requires a personal commitment from you. This requires a personal sacrifice for you. This is the vision of God's house. This is the vision of God's purpose. And we need you to give and sacrifice in this direction. We don't say that. What we say is, it's all about you. It's all about you. We got some vibrating chairs up front. Come on right in. You know, your guest this week, hey, we're going to walk you right in with some balloons and cotton candy. Can we, what can we do to make it make you feel better? Is it too cold? Is the music too loud? This is what we do. This is what we do. It's not in the, it's not, I mean, Paul preached and sold till a kid fell out the window asleep, you know? Was he, was he interested in the culture? 
Was he interested in what the culture thought? And I'm not saying I'm going to preach to the That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is that the way that we present the gospel is in light of a worldly mindset, not a kingdom mindset. We need to call the people unto purpose. We need to call the person beyond themselves. And we need to call them into an arena where it actually costs themselves to walk with Jesus. Amen. Unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You are not worthy of me. You have to deny you, take up your cross. That's a burden that costs you something that's hard to carry, makes you sweat, a little work involved here. You have to sacrifice yourself and carry something that's heavy for you or you're not worthy of them. Oh, no, I just want the pinwheel, Pastor. I want the vibrating chair in the front row. I want the light show with the smoke machines and the cool hair and the skinny jeans. That's what I want. All that stuff's great. But if there's no substance behind it and it doesn't bring substantive change into the lives of people, it's absolute total vanity. It's empty. Empty. It produces nothing. It's nothing more than a sugar rush. It builds no protein into the believer. It builds no strength into the believer. It builds no fortitude into the believer. You'd be amazed how many people that used to come here, they go to the Flash Church, whatever. I'm all in. I'm pro-church. I'm not against church. I want to be clear on that. But they come here when they need something of substance. And it used to, now I just call them out on it. I'm like, well, why don't you go there? You don't you get to, well, they don't minister like you guys minister. Well, I don't know what to tell you, you know? You know, you need something of substance. Well, then you come to the church with substance. But the most of your life is spent nothing more in entertainment where there's no challenge directly upon your life. Tell me that's correct. Well, you're a disciple. How? How are you being a disciple? You're not. You're not. And again, I'm all in production value. I don't mind. I mean, I wish we had lights. That would be awesome, you know? I wish I had like a, like a foghorn mm, blowing up here with smoke. That'd be super cool. I'm into it. I don't have a problem with production value. What I have a problem with is lack of substance. Preach the word. Bring the gospel. Challenge people. Call them into power. I don't know how people make it without the Holy Spirit. I don't know how they make it. I was born into this kingdom by the power of the Spirit. Got really vain and really stupid. I left it. I didn't want anything to do with it because I was like, whoa, you guys are freaking me out. And I spent a good portion of my life and my ministry to the Lord without the Holy Spirit. I have repented in extensive form because I was woefully ignorant. Woefully ignorant. God had to show me a different way. All the things that I knew, the all the things that I knew were true, it's that those that I learned from were applying them wrong. It was all about flash and all about boom, bang. And I didn't want to be flash, boom, bang, Holy Spirit, flash, boom, bang, Holy Spirit. That's not gospel. I'm all about the Holy Spirit, but I'm not about the elevation of a personality. There's one rock star, and his name's Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, and you, need, you do yourself well to never forget that. It's true. I don't care who they are. I don't care how, you know, how many glossies they sign. You should honor the prophet. You should honor the pastor. You should honor the teacher. Everything, that should be honor. But that person should not be in an elevated status above Jesus himself in any way, shape, or form, or fashion. There shouldn't be any confusion who the rock star is. I want to be clear to you who the rock star is. His name's Jesus. That's him. That's who we honor. That's who we worship. I'm a friend of the bridegroom, and I'm pointing the bride to the bridegroom, going, isn't he awesome? He loves you. This one is bedazzled with you. He loves you. It's true. Possessions, the world values possessions. We value popular, we value generosity. The culture values the temporary. We value the eternal. Moses, lastly, this is the last point. Moses chose to live by faith and not by fear. This is important. When you get a vision from God, you're going to have to live fearlessly towards it. 
because the culture isn't going to let you. The, the people, how many know, can we talk about barrels of crabs here, right? A lot of us in our own families, our families don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> I come from it, right? All my family just don't, nobody wants to go anywhere. Nobody wants to break out of the box. And if you start breaking out of the box, they want to pull you right back down with them. Nobody wants to go higher. You have to eliminate those people from your life, even if it's your immediate family. If all your immediate family is doing is bringing hyperdrama and hyperdrama and hyperdrama, and it's creating nothing but this tumultuous experience in your life, you need to get rid of that. You need to get rid of it. You say, it's my mom. It doesn't matter if it's your mom. It's my brother. It doesn't matter if it's your brother. Jesus said, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sisters? Those that hear the word of God and do it. He's in a, he's in a house ministering and healing people and ministering to people, and his mother, his mother, the Virgin Mary is at the door, right? Sacred Mary of the Sacrament, Holy Queen Mary is at the door. And they go, Jesus, your mother's at the door. And he didn't go, Holy Queen Mary, let me rush to the door. No, he told you know what he said? Essentially, he said, tell her to wait. I'm busy. I'm with my mother. I'm with my brother. I'm with my sisters right here, right now. The Bible preaches the brotherhood and the sisterhood and the family of believers, this is to be of higher value than that of your even immediate family. And you're to find, you can go to the next slide, you're to find big arrow people, not Debbie Downers. You want to move into purpose, you've got to discover your purpose. You have to live fearlessly towards that purpose, making choices. And you need to get people around you that can encourage you, that are like-minded. If everybody around you is a Debbie Downer, and, oh, you can't do it, who do you think you are? Uh, you know, you've never done that before. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done that before. Thanks for sharing. Close the door not talk to you anymore. I got no time for it. I got no time for it. We're going up the mountain. Read the book of Nehemiah. It's all about Debbie Downers. He's got Sanballat and Tobias all trying to get Nehemiah to come down off the wall. And the whole time he's going, you guys don't know what you're doing. You guys are building a little ratty little work there that a fox could run through. You need to come down here and let us tell you a thing or two. And Nehemiah said, I don't got time for you. I'm busy. You got to tell people I don't have time for this. You're busy. You're busy. You have to associate with like-minded people. You have to develop yourself towards your vision. If you want to be a school teacher and you never learn, you never educate yourself, you're not going to be a school teacher. You can be in business and you don't learn business, you're not going to be in business. Well, you might be, but you're not going to be in business for long. <laughs> you have to be dependent upon the Lord for where you're deficient. Trust the Holy Spirit and live fearlessly. Let me just share you this. When you get a vision from God, this is going to help some of you. God's vision for you is always bigger than you. If the vision that God, you ask the Lord for is not bigger than you, it's not from him. He's going to tell you to do something you have no idea what you're doing. Do a school, Kevin. Pfft, right. Don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. Not many people here in the church know what they're doing. We, none of us know what we're doing. You know? That's a lot of the pushback. We have meetings. Well, we don't know what we're doing. I know we don't know what we're doing. We're going to, do we're going to figure it out. We're going, to, we're going to learn as we go. We don't know exactly what we're doing. It's not going to be perfect. But give us two years, and we're going to be pros. We're going to be experts. By year three, they're going to go, wow, you guys are geniuses. They might not say that year one. <laughs> they say, what the heck are you guys doing? But the point is, is God's going to tell you to do something that's bigger than you. Your fear of failure will always be greater than your desire for gain. It's not at least we have a building just to tell you how real this stuff is. We're getting ready to line the church up and do this preschool. We're starting with a preschool. And the fear is always there that this isn't going to work. You shouldn't do this because this might not work. You shouldn't be. It's always there. Fear of failure is always there. Fear of failure will always be greater than the desire for gain. You have to learn to shut fear up. You have to learn to silence fear. And then you have to learn to do it while you're afraid. 
That's another one. You, need to, you don't feel equipped. You don't know what you're doing. That's okay. You don't know, and the obstacles that you face are greater than you. All of this is normal. It's all normal. God calls you into something, and he calls you forward, and all of this stuff is the truth around it. You don't know what you're doing. You've never done this before. There's great obstacles in front of you. What are we going to do? You're going to trust the Lord. You're going to believe him for the first step, and you're going to obey him for the first step. You're going to step into that. He won't give you step two, step three, step four, step eight, step ten. He won't show. He won't give it to you until you do step one. Step one. I told first service. Some of you in the room, God will speak things over your life. He'll say, "I'm going to influence nations with you." He'll say, "I'm going to make your business influential." He'll say things like that over your life. He will speak that. Come to the school of the prophetic, or even to fire starters, and you're going to hear things way too wonderful for you. God's going to speak things over your life, and you're going to go, "Whoa, me? Yeah, you." Well, who's saying, I don't know what I'm doing. No, but heaven says that. This is what heaven is saying about you. And people, they go, oh, I've been, you know, we're doing a missions trip to Colombia. I told them, I said, any of you who here who have ever had a word about nations, we're going on a missions trip. So if you have any word related to a nation, God says, I'm going to give you influence over a nation. Uh, we're, going to a, we're going to a nation. You might want to consider that being part of the plan here and in going into this. You know, there's just different things that you have to understand. God tells you to do something and you're required to take the steps into it. He's given you a word. I'm going to make your business influential. I'm going to use your business to fund the kingdom, but you won't even tithe from your business. You're not going, it's not going to happen. You said the word's true. Yep, the word's true. The word's alive, but the principles aren't being applied. The principle of tithing applies across the board. God doesn't, God doesn't do something outside of his own established principles. He doesn't bless a business and fund it to the level or create it to the level that he wants it to be with, by violating his own principle. The principle of the tithe and the offering exists. Seed time and harvest, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will exist. And so you go, I believe God's told me my business is going to fuel the kingdom. I'm like, great. Do you tithe from your business? No, but I tithe personally. You need to tithe from your personal and you need to tithe from your business. That God can, you can open up the door of heaven over that black, over your business. I'm telling you. This is how the game's played. This is how, it's, how it works. You get a word over media. When are you going to step into media? I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, I've got a bunch of excuses. Do it. Well, what, what can you do? Well, we can stick a little camera up in front and probably edit it and put it on social media. We can start with that. Yay, start with that. Start with what you have. Do with what you have. Yeah, exactly. But, but activate. Get the word over your life and do something with it. And stop making excuses for it. Amen? Do you want to minister something? Okay. Thank you, guys. You guys are uh, random. Uh... on how exciting yes oftentimes words come to us during teaching that we do not activate and so what I want to just take a couple minutes um, to minister to you uh, is that we hear the kairos moment the kairos now word and so I just want to pray over you if you would lift up your hands again you can hold them out before you father what are the words that you have been speaking to your people. The simple acts of obedience that they have not followed through on that would change history for them. 
Lord, you have things that you've told us to do as fathers, as mothers, as your daughters, as your sons. God, places that were to go, things that were supposed to start that have been seemingly impossible to do. And because it seems impossible, we don't do it. We don't even start. We won't move. And so, God, for those feeble knees that don't want to move this morning, I pray, Father,